Amen. Father, we thank you for this day of victory and celebration where we remember the, the risen King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we proclaim in faith the reality of that. Lord, we look to you to speak to us, to encourage us, and to give us boldness in that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us on this Easter morning. I've been thinking about this whole weekend, the cross, what happened there, the, the it is finished, and the empty tomb, and how incredibly huge these, these realities are. I've, it's almost hard to talk about them. I, I thought about it like uh, a couple weeks ago, our family was up at Zion National Park in Utah uh, before all the, the shutdowns began. And we saw this waterfall that started hundreds of feet up and, and as it just crashed down to where we were, for a while we stood there and talked about it, but then you get to this point where you realize we just need to stand here and take this in. This is almost too awesome to, to talk about. Let's just look at it. And I, I feel that way about the cross and the resurrection. I feel so small talking about it. Such a wonderful thing. And yet the, the dilemma is God tells us to preach it. So, so here we are, but I want to encourage us to... To, to look at the waterfall, to look at the risen Savior, uh, to focus on Him, to press into Him all throughout this day and all throughout our lives because that's the reality we need. But I think about that Sunday morning when the women came down to take care of Jesus' body for, for burial. and I wonder if it was like this morning here. I went out about 6 o'clock and the fog was, was so thick. I don't know if any of you guys were out there. It was, it was hard to see. I went for a drive and just a few car lengths in front of you. I wonder if it was a morning like that. They're, they're walking to his tomb. Just, there's the maybe, maybe physical fog, but there was certainly had to be this spiritual fog. Like, what is going on? This is our Lord. And here we are coming to prepare him his body for, for burial. What, what has happened? And, and we all know what has happened was the, the curse of sin had happened. I think about the curse and I think way back to the Garden of Eden. I think one of the biggest fallouts of the curse of sin was separation. And separation is something we feel the reality of maybe a little more this year than most. The separation of sin where before they would walk in the garden with God and talk with them. You, you see God coming. Where, where are you? Why are you hiding? They were separated from God by their disobedience. You see their separation from each other where before they had been like in these, this perfect relationship. Now there's this blaming. Adam says it was the woman you gave me. She goes on to blame the serpent. You see the prophecy that Ultimately, there would be this separation of body and spirit as, as physical death entered the universe. And I think about what happened that day. I think, think about it like this. Adam and Eve ate that fruit. But at the cross, Jesus drank the wine of that 
fruit. He drank the cup of the Father's wrath. He became a curse for us. Now think about how precious that is. He was our high priest. He is our sacrifice. Now I was reading about the high priest in the Old Testament who foreshadows Jesus. He would have precious gems on his shoulders. And on those gems were engraved all the names of the tribes of Israel. So that when he went into God's presence in the tabernacle or the temple, he would shoulder the weight of the people before God. That's what Jesus did as he became our high priest. He also had a breast piece that had 12 precious jewels on it. One, one with the name of each tribe of Israel. And, and there are specific instructions on how to tie that breast piece on so that it would not swing out from his chest. And I, I thought about the symbolism, like jewels, these people are precious to God. And that breast piece must be tied on so that it stays close to the high priest's heart. And I thought about Jesus, how close we were to his heart as he became our curse and, and went to the cross. And I think about the experiences of separation that, that he found himself enduring for the first time ever as he cried out in agony on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My sin was upon him there. Your sin was upon him. I think about the separation of the scattered disciples that Daniel alluded to last week. I think about these women there coming early to prepare his body for burial. And then I, I think about the, the words of hope that cracked in from the men at the tomb. Just like the sun burning away the fog this morning. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And just like that sun burning away the fog this morning, it took some time to sink in several appearances, but they eventually realized that he was risen. Hope lived. Jesus had conquered death and, and sin and Satan, all of our mortal enemies. Carolyn shared a quote with me this week from a man named Michael Horton. He said, Jesus suffered as God because only God had the power to save he suffered as man because only man owed the debt. Praise the Lord. He, he is a God who's mighty to save, and he became man to pay our debt. But on this Easter in particular, I wonder if any of you listening today are, are wrestling with the audacity of preaching a risen and victorious Christ while there's a pandemic raging in our world. How, how can you preach a victorious risen Christ with everything going on out there? Even stuff in our own lives outside the pandemic. On my street, some of our dear neighbors had an ambulance show up twice this week because of some health issues going on. Someone in our own church said goodbye to their mother this week as she passed into eternity. How can you preach a risen and victorious Christ with everything going on in my life and in our world? Well, I thought about that, and I... I thought about what you might think is a strange passage to go to on Easter, but I'm going to go there anyway. It's in Luke chapter 11. 
You remember Jesus was casting out demons from people who, who were oppressed by them. And the religious leaders were accusing Jesus, saying, you're doing that in the power of Satan. In Luke eleven seventeen, when they said that, he looked at them and it says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. In Mark chapter 3, when he talks about it, he says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What is Jesus talking about? In that story, Satan is the strong man. But here's the good news. Jesus is the stronger man who comes in, binds him, and defeats him. And what was true for one demon cast out of an individual, I believe is also true for Jesus' overall mission. Satan, the god of this world, as Paul calls him, has been overpowered by the stronger man, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the empty tomb means. It, it shows us that he overcame. But again, we come back to questions. If Jesus is victorious at the empty tomb, then why doesn't he come back now? With, with everything that's going on, just destroy this fallen place. Let's get on with the new heavens and the new earth. No more sickness, no more death. And maybe you felt that like I have sometimes during the past couple of weeks. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready. This place is falling apart. I want to tell you that day will come. Why hasn't it come yet? I don't know all the reasons for that. But I'll tell you one I know. Jesus is not done dividing the spoils. He is not done plundering the goods here. And you know what the most important goods Jesus came to plunder are? They're human souls. Souls like yours and mine. There, there are souls that are lost in sin, souls that need to come to Jesus in faith and repentance to find salvation and hope. Peter tells us that's part of why he's waiting. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do you see it? He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. Here's his heart for every person listening in right now and every person in this world, that all should reach repentance. That is why he has not yet burned this place down and started over. Listen, 
we often think about how badly we want to get to heaven. How about Jesus? How ready do you think he was after 33 years here walking in our shoes to get back to the Father again? But something that strikes me about Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he hung out here for another 40 days. <laughs> Why? Why did he do that? He was busy reconnecting lost souls to God and to each other, then sending them out to spread the word of reconnection. It was all about reconnection. It's almost like when Jesus rose from the dead that morning, to put it in terms of right now, he's like, forget this social distancing. It is time to reconnect. And he goes out and starts reconnecting. He reconnects with the women, and, and he, he tells them, go and tell the disciples, I'm going to reconnect with them in, in Galilee. He reconnects with the two on the road to Emmaus. They're struggling with their doubts, and what he does for them is he reconnects the Old Testament prophecies with the reality about who he is, showing them how it all points to him. He reconnects with doubting Thomas. He did not bail on Thomas. No, he showed up knowing his doubts and showed him the wounds to reconnect him by faith to where Thomas said, my Lord and my God. You see that reconnection. He reconnects with Peter who, who denied him three times after boldly promising he would not. John 21, you remember, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. All of a sudden, he reconnects Peter to his life's purpose with grace and, and forgiveness. All the disciples, really, he, he reconnected them with his calling from early on in their meeting him to be fishers of men. Matthew 28, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's reconnecting them to their calling and saying, You go out and bring others into this reconnection, and not just Israel, from every nation. Revelation letters later says every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now eventually he did ascend. They watched him ascend into heaven, and he reconnected with the Father. Imagine how sweet that was. How sweet that must have been. G. Campbell Morgan reminded me this week that that's not all that happened when Jesus went back up. He, he connected humanity in heaven. Jesus, God in flesh, was the first human to walk into heaven with no need of mercy. And he's still God in flesh. The God-man sits on the throne next to the Father. One man said it this way, the dust of earth sits on the throne of glory. That is mind-blowing. And what it means is that as our representative, when we come to him in faith, we're there as well. We read it a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. Verse 6 says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Talk about an amazing connection, far beyond anything we deserve. The Father gave him the Holy Spirit, who he sent to the church in that upper room in Acts 2. What happened there? He reconnected them with, with God's presence to give them power to be witnesses to the whole world, to spread the reconnection. And you see it all through the book of Acts. You see Philip in chapter 8 going to the hated Samaritans and taking Jesus there. You see Peter going in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentile Cornelius and, and God falling upon that group of people. The second half of Acts, you see the Apostle Paul taking it all over the Roman Empire. Reconnection with God through Jesus. That's what it's about. And then Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians and us today, if you're part of the church, that we get to be a part of that reconnection as well. That's why we're still here. 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let me ask you a question. Have you reconnected with God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen King of Kings? And if you have, have you joined him on this mission of spreading the word? That mission goes on whether we can meet physically on Sundays or not. We are ambassadors whether we meet together Sundays or not. We are the church of Jesus Christ whether we meet Sundays or not. The reconnecting mission goes on in your neighborhood and with the folks you connect with. What a privilege. That's why we're still here. That's why he has not burned the house down yet and started over. There is more plundering of souls to be done, and you and I get to be a part of it. Where's it all heading? Paul told us in Ephesians 1 a few weeks ago, verse 9, God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here's where it's heading. To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And for right now, you know what? It's happening one soul at a time. It may be happening to you as you listen to this message right now. I got an email yesterday from Rick, our prayer team leader. He told me that the reconnection with God for him happened 43 years ago on Easter. I was one, and God was bringing Rick into reconnection. I want you to hear his words for yourself. And as you listen, I want you to ask yourself, have you had this reconnection moment with God through Jesus? He said, hi, Scott, on a day in bed not feeling well, 
the Lord took me back 43 years when my new life first began. I, I started writing down this beautiful journey. I guess the Lord laid me down for a good reason. Here's my story in case I never shared it with you. And he starts with the verse in Mark 14, 3. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And he tells his story. 43 years ago today, I was trapped in a tomb of sin, guilt, and shame. But then Easter Sunday happened and my world turned upside down. I had been attending a Bible-believing church at the time. I was there because a, a girl I liked convinced me to go. And of course I agreed because I had this great plan. I would win her over by playing the going to church card. In the end, only Jesus won. Thank you, Lord. Each Sunday, to my surprise, I kept hearing things from the sermons that made me think, wow, I never knew that was in the Bible. And then after a few more sermons, I began to think, whoa, this is pretty cool stuff. Of course, I'd bring these revelations up to my friend, confident that this would really impress her with my Bible knowledge. But even though that wasn't working, something strange was happening inside me, and I wasn't sure I liked it. I was troubled by what I couldn't make sense of. All this truth, but it was pockets of truth that I couldn't seem to, to put together. Then a crushing blow. My friend was graduating and moving away. Now what do I do? No more reason to go to church. But I couldn't shake the thought that there might be something to this church thing, and so I decided to try church alone. This led up to Easter Sunday, 1977. The college group was putting on a presentation called The Witness, which covered the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Still uncomfortable being in church alone, I sat in the last row, way off in the corner where it was dark. Now that I look back on it, this was a pretty good representation of where my heart was at. I was in darkness, and I chose to be there. Little did I realize something life-changing was about to happen. I was captivated by watching the gospel message presented in real life by real people. There was something about that that made me forget where I was. It was like being transported right into the gospel narrative. I watched Jesus being falsely condemned to death. I watched him as he was cruelly ridiculed, beaten, and rejected by those he came to save. I watched with unexpected tears as he bore his cross all the way up to Golgotha. Images from the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth merged with what the college group was presenting. What I had thought of as just a story came to life. And all those pockets of truth that I'd been accumulating in my mind for all those months, in the twinkling of an eye, it all came together at once. And I understood. I really understood. I had been trapped in a tomb of my own making, a tomb with no way out trapped in my utter hopelessness i cried who will roll away the stone for me from the entrance of the tomb and now finally i knew jesus jesus only in a lazarus type moment i heard the lord call out my name rick come to me and i came forth out of the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light Rick goes on to make this personal for all of you listening. He didn't know it was going to be in the sermon, but he wrote this in such a way that it will speak to you. He said, perhaps you have been trapped in a life of sin. 
guilt, regret, and hopelessness. Maybe it feels to you like you've been living in a tomb for so many years and you feel trapped in a life you hate with no way out. Are you in a place of hopelessness and despair and you feel like crying out, who will roll away the stone for me from the entrance of the tomb? As that is where you find yourself today, there's no need to give up. You might be right where God wants you to be. Because until you reach that point where you know you're lost and there's no hope for you in this world or in yourself, then perhaps you will reach out to the only one who can save you, the only one who can roll away the stone from the entrance to your tomb. What a story of a reconnection with God. 43 years ago for Rick. Have, have you made that reconnection? Henry Thiessen explained the, this reconciliation, this reconnection with God like this. He said, in the garden, when, when God put Adam and Eve there, they were face to face to begin with. And then Adam and Eve turned their backs on God when they chose to disobey him. And then God, because he is holy, turned his back on them. But he already had in place a plan to make a way back to send his son, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And, and in doing so, he did everything he could to reconcile the relationship. Now all that remains is the question each one of us have to ask. Have we turned back in confession and repentance and faith in that Lamb of God? God is waiting. Paul says now is the day of salvation. Have you made that reconnection? Are you spreading that message of reconnection? That's why we're still here. I want to close with some words of encouragement. Maybe even after all of this, you look around at the world around us and say, man, it sure seems like Satan is having a heyday. If Jesus really won at the cross, he said it is finished. He said Satan was defeated. If he really won at the empty tomb, then... What is going on out there? I want to use a, an illustration from World War II. When our troops showed up at Normandy on D-Day and took that beach at great cost to life, the battle was essentially over for the forces of evil. There, was, there were more months of, of battles to be fought, prices to be paid and in and, and cleanup to be done but that was the moment where fate was sealed for the forces of evil d-day d-day has happened for satan in an even more conclusive way he has been defeated at the cross and at the empty tomb but as believers in christ we can look at satan not in our own power but in the the power of jesus covered in the blood of jesus we overcome him by the blood and the word of our testimony. We can look with eyes of faith and say, Satan, your D-Day has already come, but your fat man and little boy are coming. One day, one day, only there's a different name. The name is faithful and true. His name is the word of God. He will be wearing a white robe dipped in blood. He, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is coming to consummate his victory 
And though we may mourn the deaths of many citizens at the end of World War II, we celebrate the end of the war. There will be no mourning when our King of Kings and Lord of Lords cast you once and for all into the lake of fire. We proclaim in faith that day is coming. And in the meantime, we join our King of Kings and Lord of Lords in plundering the house, spreading the word of reconnection to every soul we can to take them from death to life in his power. Have you reconnected with that King of Kings and Lord of Lords by faith and repentance? Have you joined him in that mission of reconnection? Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, it does take eyes of faith when we look around at this world. But we believe your word. We believe the battle, the war was won at the cross and the empty tomb. And we believe one day it will be consummated. We believe in the meantime you are working and we want to join you. I pray that anyone listening in that needs that reconnection with this victorious king would turn to him today. They would receive your, your invitation that all who believe will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for being our merciful high priest, for being our sacrifice, and for being our King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray. Amen.